Welcome to The Brainstorm, a podcast and video series from ARK Invest. Tune in every week as we react to the latest in innovation and reflect on how short-term news impacts our long-term views. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. ARK Investment Management LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. ARK and Public are unaffiliated entities and do not have a relationship with respect to either firm marketing or selling the products or services of the other. And therefore, ARK disclaims responsibility for any loss that may be incurred by public's clients or customers. The information provided in this show is for informational purposes only and should not be used as the basis for any investment decision and is subject to change without notice. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by ARK and investors should determine for themselves whether a particular investment management service is suitable for their investment needs. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by ARC and or show guests and are not endorsements by ARC of any company or security or recommendations by ARC to buy, sell, or hold any security. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in the show may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements. ARC assumes no obligation to update any forward-looking information. ARC and its clients, as well as its related persons, may, but do not necessarily, have financial interests in securities or issuers that are discussed. Certain information was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information obtained from any third party. Welcome to episode 31 of The Brainstorm. Today we're talking about the Rabbit R1 and Epic vs. Apple. Um, my guess is, Nick, that's probably going to bring us into the Vision Pro as well, because all of these things seem to be intermingled. But maybe, Nick, I'll just ask you, well, you know, we got to set the stage for everyone. What, Nick, what is the Rabbit R1? Sure. So the Rabbit R1 is a new personal computing device. Um, it was announced last week at CES, or there was a keynote during CES. It's about 25 minutes long. I recommend anyone go to their website and check it out. I think what we have here is is maybe a paradigm shift in how we're going to interact with AI. And I think a lot of people have originally focused on uh, the sleek design. It's it's red. It kind of looks like an old school or maybe a new school Tamagotchi. Nick's colorblind, it's so it's it's a. Li- I thought it was kind of orange. But. Okay, I I actually <laughs> am colorblind. To me, it's a it's red or maybe what I would call burnt orange. But I think, you know, a lot of people on Twitter focused on this very cool design. It has a camera built in. It is multimodal. Um, But I think really where, you know, I want to focus the conversation today is actually on the software. Um, They have gone out, created a new foundation model. It's called the large action model. It's actually trained on user um, behavior in certain applications. So it's looking at how we as users interact with certain applications. So when you go to Uber, how is your hand tracking across a mobile phone? What are you clicking on? How exactly would an AI interpret and then go go out and carry out the actions of someone wanting to book an Uber or buy something on Amazon or uh, book a hotel room reservation, you name it. It's really 
the the idea here is that this is an AI that can carry out end-to-end task completion. Uh, that's kind of the future pitch. So if you think about this in comparison to a large language model, large language models taint trained on vast amounts of text data, video data, photo data, and then you're asking for photo, video, or text, and it's giving you an output. What you're doing here is training AI on task completion carried out by humans, and then asking that AI to then carry out that task for you. So it's a text or voice input with an action output, which I think is really interesting because this is kind of, to me, how you get to the AI uh, assistant era of what we're currently going through. And I think that's a huge opportunity long-term because who doesn't, you know, want that? Uh, I watch Iron Man probably far too frequently as a film Jarvis, right? This is kind of the future that's being pitched here, having an AI assistant trained on your personal behavior and preferences, and then being able to ask and and have it carry out and actually tasks execute, for right? you and actually execute, right? That's kind of the key component of this. And I think that's what's, you know, so compelling about the device and really the software component of it is that approach of, hey, let's let's take this AI uh, kind of race and push it, in my opinion, like 10 steps forward in, in what mm-hmm. capability uh, these, these, these models are able to, to carry out. And it's exciting to see, Nick, you know, we, I think when Reggie was on, we were talking about AI hardware because the Humane tab came out, right? Obviously, this is a different iteration of that. I think one of the takes from all of the haters online was, why isn't this just an app? Um, And so would, yeah, I can explain. Would love your your take. And then I'll kind of share how I was thinking about it. I feel like I said how I was thinking about it and it sounded dumb but you'll let me know if it actually is dumb. Yeah, I can explain my take and my understanding after looking and, and rummaging through the website. So what's actually happening on the back end when you're interacting with this device is you'll, you'll first upload and, and uh, you know essentially connect your different applications to the device. So if you want to book a ride, you'll connect your Uber account mm-hmm. so it has your payment information, it has your, your account to be able to actually carry out that end-to-end you know, that, that task. And what's actually happening is that app is being hosted as an instance in rabbits, private, secure cloud. And so what's happening every time you're doing this is they're essentially running an application or the, 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 the model on top of the application in their cloud, and then actually retraining the model every time new users are interacting with it. So I think there's a training component to this, whereas, uh, and then also a privacy uh, a reason for this, because it would be like, you know, the, the reason you couldn't do this as an application or the reason no one besides maybe Apple or, you know, Google couldn't do this as an application is because you'd have to use their ecosystem and, 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 and a- essentially ask them for permission to, to do this, which I don't think they would ever let you. And, you know, this is you already see them cracking down on Epic for other different reasons, but they have, you know, a, an ecosystem they want to protect. And this I think would probably not fit into how they want applications working. Um, so right. I think there is that component to it. Yeah. And maybe, you know, we'll just mingle topics here because I think the ecosystem is a part of it. And at least the way that I was thinking about it is right. It's like when it, 
the app store launched and for a long period of time, it was like the apps exist in the Apple ecosystem. And the way you enter that ecosystem is through the phone. But now those apps exist beyond the phone, right? So it's like the phone's just one portal in and instead of being a gateway, it's now more of a hindrance than anything, right? And so it's like, you can't actually use the apps to their full capability through the iPhone because people want to go beyond what the iPhone can offer. It, it's, or, you know, I, I'm using iPhone and Apple ecosystem kind of hand in yeah, hand. No, and I, I think that's correct. And I think longer term, if this plays out, I think this is a huge disintermediation between consumers and marketplaces and consumers and apps and consumers and Apple, right? Because you now have this middle layer of software that is acting on your behalf or when you ask for something, it goes out and carries out what you want within the app ecosystem or within the marketplace ecosystem that has been building for the last 20 years. And I think if you can understand how that would displace marketplace marketplaces or displace applications, then you start to, to realize how important this layer can be because it, it, it transfers the trust when you're creating or, or, or consuming in the digital world from marketplace or Apple or, or application or Uber to the AI assistant. So in this case, you're, you're giving, you know, full ownership and trust over to rabbit or whoever is going to be carrying out on your behalf instead of, you know, I, when I go to Amazon, I'm trusting that, you know, they're going to put the right product in front of me. Or when I go to Uber, they're going to give me the best pricing. Essentially, you have now an aggregator in between all of that. Because when you go to ask Rabbit, I'll use you know, an example here, you are going to say, hey, I need uh, AA batteries and I need them here tomorrow. And it's not just going to look at the prices on Amazon and, and Walmart, it's going to look across the entire web, because that's the, you know, the unlocked capability. And then just say, I found, you know, Energizer, double A batteries that can get here same day shipping. And maybe it's Amazon or maybe it's Walmart or more likely it's AliExpress. Right. right. So, and, and then extend that to Uber and Airbnb and all these different marketplaces that have built up such brand importance and trust. And, you know, they, they run loyalty programs and all of this to get the consumer to buy into that their service is better than the competitors. When at the end of the day, they're really offering an inventory and, and supply and I think what this will do is change all of that branding marketing to just inventory and and pricing, right? Who has the biggest mm. supply for what I want and who has the lowest price in the context of I need a Airbnb in, in, in upper state New York for uh, next weekend. It's not going to be, oh, I know Uber can get that for me. It's going to be, I know Rabbit's going to find me the next, you know, the, the, the best house that is trained on my you know, understanding and, and preferences, which is kind of that other layer of personalization that these apps have, right? You know, this is, there's plenty of AI and ML work that goes into recommend recommendation software today, right. this is but just this extends beyond that, right? It's an right. abstraction of kind of these current marketplaces and app ecosystem. And that's why I think it's so important to kind of fully understand this shift over, over the long term. And, and one thing we mentioned is, or we didn't mention is that 
Rabbit is only charging $200 for this device, um, no which subscription. is no subscription. And so you ask yourself, nice. well, how do, how do they make money in the long term? One, I think it's, there's going to be a take rate. So when, when, when Rabbit goes to, you know, put a, a, a choice in front of a consumer, there will be bidding wars on the opposite side, kind of how search works today. When, you know, a consumer says, uh, you know, I need a rental property, Airbnb, Verbo, they'll be bidding for kind of that space within the context window of what does this consumer want? Um, I think that's kind of how the market will shape up. That's kind of early read of how this could become, you know, a very large business. And it, you know, just for people out there who haven't watched the video yet or haven't been following along, it's done, I think they've sold 40,000 units so far as like a pre-sale, much greater than I think their expectation. I think initially they were hoping in the thousands. Um, so they've already increased their requests from their manufacturers, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll see how it actually plays out, right? The question is, it's cool. It shows the path to the future. Unclear if this is the solution, right? Are people going to carry around two items in their pocket? Um, what's yeah, you know? The, what well, is yeah, the I think there's a... the, the form. The form factor is is probably still to be figured out, but the path and disintermediation that you're talking about, I think, is becoming more and more clear. And then Nick, yeah. I'll just use this to transition here. We alluded to it a few times um, with Apple and Epic. Can you kind of set the stage there? What happened? Why is it back in the news now? Um, and why is Apple being so mean? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I think that's a nice way of putting it. Uh, the story really dates back to August, 2020 when Epic filed an antitrust lawsuit against Apple. And this was a result of Apple kicking Fortnite off the app store after Epic introduced a third-party payment option in lieu of Apple's payment option. And this is, you know, a very important business and, and revenue stream for Apple. Apple takes a 30% cut of all in-app purchases. Um, they want you to use their rails so that they can track and understand what's happening in this ecosystem. The idea here is that that 30% is fair because it's, you know, it's, it's essentially a lead generation from the Apple ecosystem and they're also providing privacy and, and safety for their consumers. Epic, you know, sees it a different way. They see it as a tax, not only on them, but ultimately on the consumer because they have to address their pricing to, you know, accommodate for that 30% tax. Um, and that's not, you know, to say that it's, it's uh, not just Epic is, is what I'm trying to say. It's not just Epic that sees it this way. There's plenty of, of, of applications and, and companies that have gone and, and pointed this out. Um, we're now, you know, three years later, um, almost four, and we finally have gotten to a point where the Supreme Court, after, you know, this, this battle has gone through several different districts and Epic has won some points, Apple has won on others. It finally got pushed all the way up to the Supreme Court. Uh, the Supreme Court has denied to hear both sides. Um, and so what has ended up happening is... Epic has won on the count of Apple needs to allow for third-party payment options to be available at least through a web browser. Um, and so maybe people are familiar with this if you've ever used 
Um, you know, some applications will redirect you to a web browser so that you can then um, sign up for a, a music streaming service, but you're actually doing it through a web browser. The idea here is that, and this is not really well understood in the US, it's, it's in other markets where Apple is actually lost on this, um, specifically the Netherlands. This is really an interesting point here. Back in 2022, the ne Netherlands ruled that Apple had to open up this, this payment option for dating apps. And what Apple did was said, okay, you're allowed to do that, but we're going to put up a big pop-up window that says Apple does not guarantee the safety and privacy when you leave the Apple ecosystem and, and move on to the native web. And we're actually still going to charge um, these applications 27%. So a, a you know 3% haircut to the 30% rate that uh, Apple currently is charging on IAP or in-app purchases. And everyone said, okay, maybe they're going to do this, maybe they're not. Well, turns out that's exactly what they plan to do here in the U.S. And so, you know, after a lengthy legal battle, you have the outcome, which is Epic is allowed and other applications are allowed to point users away from Apple's payment uh, option. They have to go through a web application. They have to be notified that they're leaving the, the safety of Apple's ecosystem. Then they have to, you know, put in all of their information, probably relook for what they were planning to buy already. So, you know, plenty of hurdles built in. And I think Tim Sweeney pointed out several of these in a, in a, in a tweet he had. And then the developer is still out 27%. So how much did, you know, Epic win here? Not much. Um, you know, I, would, I wouldn't even call it a small victory because of how Apple has essentially reacted uh, to this point. And, and now it's, it's, it's uh, it, Tim Sweeney has tweeted that, you know, they're planning to go back into the district courts because they believe Apple has acted in bad faith given mm. their, um, you know, re the, the resolution they came to or, you know, what they thought was a, a, a proper remedy to this problem. So um, it's not, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot, not, there's not a lot great. going on. It's a bit messy. Um, you know, trying to follow all of these court hearings, it's, it's not fun, uh, for probably any side you're, you're paying a lot of money out to lawyers and, you know, after all of this, we're kind of back in the same, same spot we were in three, four years ago. Um, so and, pretty disappointing. So the, the other piece here, I'll just continue on. I is it's the, uh, the vision pro is starting to roll out and we're hearing mm -hmm. reports. The overwhelming one is this is a heavy product. Uh, you, I think in probably one of our first brainstorms adamantly said this is going to be a flop. Um, what's, what's your read from the early reviews? And then I guess let's tie it all back up and just really spell out how all three of these topics are interrelated yeah i think when you when you project out how all of this plays out in the longer term or you know you try to brainstorm you know how can this backfire on on apple when you think about you know apple's services business they're deriving a lot of that revenue or the majority of that revenue 
off the back of third-party developers building for Apple's ecosystem, right? Apple doesn't employ the employees of Uber just to tie it back into the rabbit, right? But they all build uh, for an iOS app and an Android app, but in this instance, an iOS app, which then helps and supports Apple's moat in the mobile phone category, right? When you go and 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 potentially uh, suppress or uh, act in bad faith towards these developers and and not budge on anything they've been asking for, longer term, when you do make a platform shift or there is something disruptive to your business, all of that pent up frustration and 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 anger that's been building in the system, it doesn't bode well for Apple. And so to get to your point around the Vision Pro. Now you have a new platform, but you also have competing, you know, products out there in the market and developers have to make a choice. They have to say, am I going to build on Vision Pro or am I going to build for MetaQuest or am I going to build for, you know, PlayStation or a number of the different versions of VR that's out there. And so those are, you know, the tactical, you know, long-term decisions that I think, developers will have to make they're going to have to say you know do i trust apple to act in good faith in in the you know vr market or do i trust an, another platform where the take rates much lower and you know then you know just to tie the bow on the vision pro because i think i've been pretty adamant that <laughs> the product is a hard pitch and i think most people that are you know big fans of Apple are saying, well, this is basically, basically consider this version of the Vision Pro as a, a demo that you're able to buy for $3,500. And it's like, okay. But that's, that's kind of what we knew. That's what right. we knew. Well, I mean, there was a lot of hope for maybe a more affordable version of it. But I think what we're seeing, at least in the earlier views are, you know, there are some positives, but there are also some negatives. And the negatives are ones that probably shouldn't have been overlooked to begin with. Like th they seem like very simple fixes to, you know, something that is pretty well understood, like ergonomics of headsets. You know, these headsets have been in the market for a long time. People and, and companies know that, you know, fitting a metal casing is just going to add weight and does nothing to really benefit the headset itself, I, you know, maybe you get a sleeker design out of it, mm -hmm. but weight is one of the most important, you know, portions of a headset because if it sits on your head and it only sits on your head for 15 minutes and it's weighing you down on the front, that will end up giving you a headache. And that's what you're hearing from reviewers. But then you see the positives, which is, you know, the software, the UI, the vision tracking, um, you know, the, the touch uh, command, they're right. all pretty incredible and and people are describing it as almost magical. So there are positives, but I would say if you look back at recent Apple launches, you know, every iteration of an iPhone that just gets slightly slimmer and, and, and bigger, um, you know, those are pretty well understood products. Most people are trying to find the faults in them because the positives are just well known. And I think this is kind of the opposite where people are trying to find the positives because the you know the negatives are so kind of glaringly obvious um so you know it's it will be interesting to see and how this plays out i i saw um and this may just be a rumor but 
you know, they only have the capability to fulfill 70,000 units um, in kind of this first batch that's going out. So there are potentially supply chain issues that are plaguing this as well. So I don't think it's going to be a, a product that we hear much about. Um, I think they'll let this kind of sit out there in the ecosystem, let developers build for it, and you'll see a, you know, a new iteration of it in probably a year, year and a half. So Nick, question for you. You yawning, Sam? Am I boring you? <laughs> I, I did. You're holding back yawn. a yawn? Um, question for you. Will your next five phones be an iPhone? For the foreseeable future, I don't see myself leaving the Apple ecosystem. After I've just railed so on about... Yeah, it. right. Well, so that's... I mean, I think that is the bigger issue here, right? Is Apple still has such a strong stranglehold over the consumer because their ecosystem is so important to our everyday life from photos to, you know, iMessage to just how seamlessly the entire experience is that it's really hard for even as a consumer to get upset about, you know, what's happening with Apple and Epic. From an investor standpoint, you can see the flaws and you can see the potential hurdles and, and all the negatives built in. But if I were separating all of that and saying, you know, at the end of the day, from a consumer perspective, do I truly care? Not too much, right? Like you don't really recognize the tax. I mean, maybe we do because we are, you know, talking about it and it's a part of our, you know, working life to understand this. And so we, you know, probably have a better knowledge, but does the everyday Apple consumer understand that that tax burden or do they understand, you know, that, you know, Apple is putting pressure on developers? No, I think Apple does a very good job of, of hiding that and making it, you know, unclear where the burden is falling. And so it's mm -hmm. hard to, you know, separate yourself from, you know, the potential negative uh, ecosystem effects Apple is, is implementing on kind of the, the community largely. Right. And it's a slow burn, I think. Is it is a slow burn. Yeah. But, you know, it's a slow burn that can be fatal. Right. It's, I think it's, uh, you know, disruption haps, happens slowly and then all at once, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, the reason it happens all at once is because these things build and build and build. And then you get, you know, some technological shift that catches a company off guard. And everything we had just talked about, all of this developer frustration, it just, you know, goes right out the door. And, you, you know, the loyalty you thought you had from your developers isn't there. And yes, they've been silent, but that's because you've essentially forced them to be silent because their livelihood depends on their silence. And so there's, you know, a lot of issues, I think, building potentially in this ecosystem. All right. And when are you supposed to get the rabbit? I am supposed to have it in June or July. All right. So I'll be so wearing we'll, my meta we'll, we'll Ray-Ban glasses with my rabbit. I'm basically going to be a cyborg by this summer. That's right. We don't need to wait for uh, Optimus to fold T-shirts. That's, that's we, we spoke about that already, but, you know. You already are a cyborg. But. True. True. All Just right. a, a more efficient one, I guess. That's right. Everyone, we look forward to seeing you next week. And I mean, it is crazy just the speed at which all of these changes are happening. Yep. Thank you, everyone.